it is always good to be with you to worship God around the study of his word together as a church, as a local church, and it's so good to see you. So before we continue where we left off last week, I'm going to ask you to do something just a little bit different. If you have something to write on or write with, would you go ahead and get that out, a notepad and a pen? If you don't, maybe just on your phone, if you have to take notes on your phone, you could do that. I'm going to have you write down a statement for us to consider. It's something that this passage is going to talk about specifically. So I want you to think about it as we walk through the passage, and then I'm going to come back to it at the end of the service. So would you write down this statement for me? Faithful obedience to God's word always produces God's blessing in your life. And if you want to personalize that, you can put in my life. I'm going to say it again. Faithful obedience to God's word always produces blessing in your life. Now, for some of you, that may be more of a question. You're like, wait a minute. Always? I thought you didn't like definitives. I said that a couple weeks. I don't like definitives. Always. And what do you mean by God's blessing, Justin? As we walk through this passage this morning in 1 Kings, we're going to see a picture of this in Elijah's life, in the widow of Zarephath, a picture of God's blessing because of faithful obedience. And if you have questions about that statement, even if you disagree with that right now, that's okay. My hope is that at the end of the service and going into this week, you would evaluate and consider why do you disagree with that statement? And for those of you who hear that, you're like, yes, amen. I believe that. My hope is you would walk away from this sermon this morning, allowing that truth to radically change your life every day. Every day of your life, you would think on that truth and it would change how you walk through life every day. That's, that's one of my goals for the sermon this morning. Faithful obedience to God's word always produces God's blessing in your life. All right, so go ahead, keep your notes out if you got them and, and get out your Bibles, please. We'll open up the, the Old Testament again in 1 Kings chapter 17 this morning. 1 Kings chapter 17, and while you're turning there, just, just a quick review, some context before we jump in in case you missed last week or you have a memory like mine. We're looking at the life and the ministry of the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament in the northern kingdom of Israel. It's a divided kingdom. So if you remember that God called a people to himself, a nation, through Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name changed to Israel. They go to Egypt. Moses leads them out of slavery in Egypt. They're led into the promised land by Jacob and Caleb. And then we talked about this in Ruth. For about 300 years, they were led by judges. And that was a dark time in Israel's history. So they asked for a king, and God gave them a king. He gave them Saul, and then David, and then Solomon. And at the end of Solomon's life, he drifted from God. He turned to sin. And as a result, the kingdom, the nation of Israel was divided into two nations. The southern kingdom of Judah, the two tribes of Benjamin and Judah, and the other ten tribes were in the northern kingdom of Israel. Initially, it was Rehoboam in the south and Jeroboam in the north were the kings. And this section of scripture we're talking about takes place in the northern kingdom of Israel about 9th century B.C. And it's important to consider that the northern nation of Israel, from the time it was established in 931 until they underwent exile by the Assyrians in 722. For 200 years, they had 19 kings, and every one of them was evil. Jehu's debatable. He was kind of hit or miss, but 18 for sure were evil kings who turned away from God. And last week, we were in 1 Kings 16, and we, we learned about the king that's in, in charge during this particular time in their history, King Ahab. And what do we learn about him? Do you remember his reputation? It says in 1 Kings chapter 16 that King Ahab was a man who did more evil and did more to pro provoke God than anybody else in the history of Israel. 
That was his reputation. He did more evil in the sight of God and more to provoke God than all who were before him. That's a terrible reputation. In addition to that, he married Jezebel. Jezebel, she's not from Israel. She's from the kingdom of Sidon, about 80 miles to the northwest in Phoenicia. Her dad was the king there. She was a princess. What's unique about Sidon? It was the epicenter of the worship of Baal, the Canaanite god of fertility, the storm god responsible for the rain, the crops, and other things. They worship Baal. So it's no surprise when Ahab marries Jezebel, he promotes and endorses the worship of Baal in the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom. And the kingdom drifts into sin and idolatry. This was a direct violation of the first commandment. Exodus 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5. What's the first commandment of the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods before me. And the king of Israel worships another god and tells people to do the same. That's where we're at in 1 Kings 16. And then in 1 Kings 17, last week, Pastor Vic talked to us about Elijah. Elijah, the prophet, is introduced in 1 Kings 17. What is a prophet? A prophet is a messenger of God, someone who speaks the word of God to the people, and he speaks with convictional power. And oftentimes in the Old Testament, we see that prophets were there to speak about God's coming judgment and wrath for people who have turned away from him. But also they speak about God's mercy, his grace, and his steadfast love to those who repent and turn from their sin and believe. That's who Elijah is. He's a prophet of God who speaks the words of God. And his first interaction, he goes to the evil king Ahab and says, your God has no power. That's pretty bold. He goes to the king, an evil king, and says, your God has no power, and this is how I'm going to show you. It's not going to rain in Israel until I say it's going to rain because I speak with the authority of the one true God, Yahweh, the true king of Israel. And after he says that, it makes sense that Ahab's not super happy with Elijah. So God tells Elijah to do what? Why don't you go hide for a little bit? Go five miles to the north of your hometown in Tishbe by a brook, the brook at Cherith, and just hang out there until I talk to you again. And oh, by the way, I'm going to feed you with birds. They're going to drop off some food for you. That's where we left off last week. Elijah's at a brook by himself being fed by birds. And then Pastor Vic left us with a cliffhanger. The brook dried up. And then we called, it a, we called it a service and we went home. So what happens? Like he's at this brook. There's no more water. Birds are still feeding him. And that's where we're going to jump in this morning. So I hope that's context for you to understand what we're jumping into. Okay. As is the tradition of our church, would you just stand where you're at right now? We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning in verse 8. And we're going to read nine verses this morning. This section is probably titled, The Widow of Zarephath in your Bible. So I'll read as you follow along. Beginning in verse 8. The word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. And dwell there, and behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Verse 13, And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent. The jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and her household ate for many days. And the jar of flour was not spent. 
Neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. May God bless the reading of his word. Y'all can have a seat. The brook dried up and then this happens. Elijah is among the most well-known and revered prophets in the Bible. Even those outside of Christianity and Judaism typically know about the name Elijah. And it makes sense in the beginning of chapter 17, Elijah sent to the king. That makes sense. Like you're an important prophet, go to an important person and proclaim God's word. But then the brook dries up and God sends him here. Where is Zarephath? I had to look it up. I can't spell it. It's about seven miles south of the kingdom of Sidon. Remember where Jezebel's from. It's an epicenter of Baal worship. He sends Elijah outside of Israel about 80 miles. Before he sent him five miles north of his hometown, he sends him 80 miles to the northwest in the region of Phoenicia on the Mediterranean Sea to meet up with a destitute, nameless widow who's going to feed him. Couldn't God have just taken him somewhere within Israel to meet up with a friend or a family member or another remnant, a follower of God to feed him? Why did God send Elijah 80 miles to the northwest to meet up with a nameless, destitute widow. This is the first truth from this passage. I encourage you to write it down. God desires to make his name known among all the peoples of the earth. That's a truth that we see a picture of in this passage, that God desires to make his name known among all the peoples of the earth. When King Ahab and the Israelites reject God and worship Baal, God doesn't stop. He doesn't stop his unfolding plan in redemptive history because people reject him. He continues to send people to places where he will be received by faith. And that's exactly what he does here. According to Exodus 19.5, the king of Israel and the Israelites were supposed to be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests set apart to model God and his love for humanity to the world around them. It was, some people describe it as a come and see time in redemptive history. Maybe you've heard that. Solomon builds a temple. God dwells in the temple in a su special supernatural way and people are coming to see God and how he's working in their, in their lives. First Kings chapter 10, we talked about this a while back. The queen of Sheba traveled about a thousand miles because she heard about the fame of Solomon and his Lord and she came to see it. That's what they were called to do in Israel. That's not what they're doing here. King Ahab is not doing this, but God doesn't stop. He says, Elijah, start heading northwest. I've got more work for you to do, and my name's going to be, be known among all the peoples. What is the primary way that God accomplishes this task? The primary way that God makes his name known among all the people brings us to our second point, and I encourage you to write this down. God mobilizes faithful and obedient people to make his name known. So God desires to make his name known in all the earth, and he mobilizes faithful and obedient people to, to make his name known. We see that here. Elijah's our example. God gives him a pretty daunting task with not a lot of information, at least not here in our Bibles. We don't get much. He's faithful and he's obedient, and he goes to the region of Zarephath, and he obeys. And he demonstrates the power of the Lord and speaks the name of the Lord to this pagan widow, and she demonstrates faith in God. That's what we see in this passage. But mobilizing Faithful and obedient people has always been part of God's plan. It's not just in this passage. Back, way back in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, if, if you recall, God speaks to Abraham in his covenant promise. He says to him, I'm going to give you a land, a people, and a blessing. 
the covenant promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. Why did God bless him? That you and your line would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. From the very beginning, God designed people to be his witnesses in all the earth so that they might be blessed in the knowledge and relationship with God. And then through the line of David, the people of Israel, he sent Jesus Christ. In the new covenant with Jesus Christ, he continues that same mission. It looks a little bit different. You might describe this as a go and tell. Like we're not going to Jerusalem to see the temple. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus gives his disciples the great commission before he ascends into heaven. What does he tell them to do? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Go and tell people about me. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus again talking to his disciples, as recorded by Luke. says, wait here until the Holy Spirit has come upon you in power. And you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God has designed us, faithful, obedient people, to go and tell people about him. And how we come into relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's an essential truth in this passage. God could have made himself known to the widow in supernatural means, but he mobilized Elijah to go make his name known. Why? In Revelation chapter 7 verse 9, it describes a scene in heaven. This apocalyptic vision that John has about heaven. And it describes it like this. There will be every nation, tribe, people, and language represented in the kingdom of heaven. How is that going to happen? God says, you and me to make his name known just like he sent Elijah to make his name known to a widow. And again, God does not discriminate based on income, prestige, status, you name it. Elijah talked to a king. He talked to a destitute widow on the brink of death in a pagan land. We're just called to make his name known. It's the reason that Pastor Vic and Clay and Rodney and Colson are in Rwanda right now. Like we prioritize and support mission because this is one of our primary jobs on the planet. We make God's name known in all the earth. Pastor Vic is preaching this morning, or maybe it already happened in Kigali, Rwanda, alongside brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because he's been mobilized, along with the other three guys, to make the name of the Lord known in all the earth. But in addition to doing this, thank you. I don't want you to miss this third point, okay? But in addition to making God's name known and being mobilized as the people of God to do that, we see something else really critical. Don't miss it. God through Elijah provided for the physical needs of this widow. Like God used Elijah to feed her. He didn't just say, go and be well fed. He said, the Lord God is going to provide. He gives her food. And because of that, she doesn't die. She was on the brink of death. She was about to die, but he brings her food and physical relief. It's done in a supernatural way, but the outcome's the same. Like she experiences salvation from death and God gets all the credit. The principle that's modeled for us here is throughout scripture, most notably exampled by Jesus Christ. If you think about his life and ministry of Jesus, where did he spend most of his time with people who were desperate on the fringes of society, sinners, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the mute, the deaf, the demon possessed, those who were the hungry, those who were desperate. God, through Jesus, Jesus spoke to them and he also cared for their physical needs. And if his example wasn't enough, I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew 25, verse 35. Would you just flip ahead, hold your spot in 1 Kings. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 25, verse 35. 
So this is Jesus in what's known as the Olivet Discourse. He's on the Mount of Olives. It's near the end of his ministry. And he's speaking to his disciples. And he's describing to them the end times, the judgment, where faithful followers of Christ will be separated from those who reject Christ. And this is how he describes them. We'll start in uh, Matthew 25, verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when, do, when do we see a stranger? When do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it for the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. God calls us to make his name known in all the earth. He mobilizes us to speak the name of Jesus Christ where it has not been heard, but he also calls us to complement that in an essential way by caring for the physical needs of those who are in helpless situations. That's why this Friday, the team in Rwanda, they're going to go to a a Christian food assistance charity, like along with speaking the gospel and teaching and ministering and encouraging and learning from the folks in Rwanda, we intentionally set aside a day to go to a Christian assistance charity, a food assistance charity. And the kids this summer collected money at Vacation Bible School. And we're going to deliver that check, that money, to feed hungry kids in Kigali, Rwanda. Why? Because we're called to do that as followers of Jesus Christ. The gospel message has to be complemented with a desire to care for people physically, tangibly, with what we have, our resources. So in this passage, we see a story that God desires to make his name known. He mobilizes Elijah to do it. And in going, by faith, he cares for the physical need of this nameless widow of Zarephath. And as a result, she lives, and her son lives, and she places her faith in God, Yahweh. That's powerful. But I'm going to spend the rest of my time this morning going back to that first sentence that I gave you, that statement. So if you have it written down, you can go, go back there and write all your questions. <laughs> I want to unpack that a little bit. Faithful obedience to God's word always produces blessing in your life. Let's just start for what we have here in 1 Kings. I don't know how Vic does this. My pages are flipping everywhere. Let's just start with the, the, the small pictures. It's not comprehensive, but the small picture of this we have in 1 Kings. All right? We'll start with Elijah. So faithful obedience in the life of Elijah. God's word to him, and God spoke directly to Elijah. We've seen this with prophets. God speaks through dreams with Daniel, with Ezekiel. He speaks through visions. Best I can tell, he's speaking directly to Elijah. We don't know exactly how. But his word, God's word to Elijah is, way back in 1 Kings, uh, the first section from last week, Go rebuke the king for his worship of Baal by prophesying that there will be no rain. That's God's word to Elijah. That requires faith and obedience. Faith, why? Because he's an evil king. There's a good chance you'll be killed or at least in prison if you rebuke the king and his God. I mean, that, I think that's reasonable to conclude. It required faith to go do that. And then he actually had to go do it. And what's the blessing that results? The king didn't arrest him. The king didn't kill him. And it didn't rain. Like, it didn't rain. The prophecy came true. And what did that do for Elijah? Elijah experienced God's blessing through a deeper relationship with God. His faith grew. God spoke. He acted. His faith grew. God's blessing in his life. What happens next? God tells him, go into hiding by a brook. 
birds are going to feed you and wait for my word. God has never told me to do that, but I imagine that would be tough to process. Go hide somewhere and birds are going to bring you food and just wait on me. That requires faith and obedience. What does Elijah do? He goes and the birds feed him. God provides. It deepens his faith and his love for God. The relationship grows. He's blessed by Almighty God. What happens today in the passage that we read? It just continues. God says, go to a pagan land where you don't know anybody that worships Baal. Look for a widow who's destitute on the brink of death and ask her for some food. That requires faith. I've never walked 80 miles, I don't think. 80 miles to a foreign land where I don't know anybody and ask a stranger who doesn't have anything for her last bit of food. That requires faith and obedience. And he does it. And as we've seen, what happens? She was there and she fed him. In each instance, God spoke something that required faith and obedience. Elijah acted and he received his blessing, a deeper, more intimate relationship with the almighty God of the universe and a practical blessing. God fed him. He took care of him. He provided for him. Now the shift gears. Let's look at the widow. What was God's word to her? If you look back at verse nine, it actually says in here, behold, about halfway through verse nine of chapter 17, behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So in some supernatural way, God commands this widow to feed Elijah. Doesn't say how. And don't assume that because God commanded it, she was obligated to do this. Keep in mind, this is the northern kingdom of Israel. God commanded them to worship no other God but him. And what are they doing? They're in complete rebellion. So just because God commanded doesn't mean she was obligated to do it. She had to demonstrate faith. So she receives this message from Yahweh, the one true God. And then Elijah shows up. She's like, oh, here he is. And, and he doesn't just ask for food. My pages are everywhere. I don't know if you caught it. It almost seems rude. Did you see the interaction? He says, um, I like some food. I like some water. Give me some food. And before you feed your dying son, I want you to feed me first. It seems rude. Like, but what's he really doing here? Like for the moms in the crowd are watching, just for a moment, put yourself in this situation, just for a moment so you can grab your heart. You're on the brink of death because there's a famine as a result of the drought. You're a widow. Your husband's died. You have one son left, as best we can tell. And your son's about to die of starvation. You have just a little bit of food left. And this stranger from a foreign land tells you, I want you to take that last bit of food and feed me first. That goes against every maternal instinct in the crowd. I, I, I couldn't imagine that. I don't know that I would have that faith. What does she do? She submits to God's command. She listens to Elijah and she gives him her last bit of food. And what does God do? He responds to her faithful obedience by providing her food that she didn't expect. And, she, and God made his name known to her and her son in a radically supernatural way that forever changed her life. She received God's blessing because of her faithful obedience in a way that didn't make sense at the time. I can't even imagine doing myself as a dad. Faithful obedience to God's word always produces blessing in our lives. But what's the obvious question? Wait a minute, Justin. Like this is the elephant in the room. What about when things don't work out like this as they often don't? And if we just look back at Christian history, centuries of Christian history marked by faithful, obedient servants of God. We talked about them here at an Iron Judson. Jim Elliott, faithful, obedient servants of God who are doing what God called them to do. 
They were persecuted. They suffered disease. They were in prison. They were tortured. Thousands have been martyred for being faithfully obedient. How can you say that that's God's blessing in their life? It's a good question. Like we have to be able to address that question. In your own lives, many of you are struggling with different things, hard, serious, life-threatening things, tragedy and despair. Like how is that God's blessing in my life? I'm chasing after him, Justin, but I don't see it. It's a good question. What is God's blessing, at least from what we see in this passage? What is the most important thing you desire from God? What is it that you desire from God? Is it just good health and wealth and prosperity, things in this life? In this life that the Bible describes as a shadow, a mist, a vapor, a flower that's here one day and gone the next? Is it just that so you can have a comfortable life? Is that God's blessing, his preeminent blessing? It's not. It's not his blessing. We don't simply worship God for what he gives. We worship God for who he is. I don't know how else to say it. Like we don't worship God just for the stuff that he gives us. We worship him because he's the almighty God of the universe and he's made a way for us to be in relationship with him, a, a personal loving relationship with him forever through faith in Jesus Christ. That is why we worship God. That's mind blowing. And yes, it is good and right. And I would encourage you to come to God with all your needs. If you're facing difficulty with your health or finances, or you just don't have enough to get through it, absolutely it is right and good to go to God with those needs. And when he provides for you and his mercy and grace, to thank him, to thank him for his mercy and grace and to praise him for that particular blessing. But the preeminent blessing of God that I'm talking about in that statement I had you write down is a deep and personal relationship with God. When you obey what God tells you to do, I guarantee you, you will receive his blessing, a deeper, more meaningful, purposeful life and relationship with him. That's what the Bible teaches. If God commands it and I obey it, the result is a closer relationship with God. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. How could he say that? Here's a dude who went through a lot. He was imprisoned. He was tortured. He was beat up. They stoned him by Lystra, tried to kill him. Shipwrecked, bit by a snake. The guy went through all kinds. He said, for me to live is Christ. Like my faithful obedience is to receive God's blessing. For me to live is Christ. And oh yeah, to die is gain because I'll be with God forever. Like his hope was set on something more than this world. I'm gonna have you turn one more place with me. Go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter five. This is not a comprehensive teaching on blessing. It's used many different ways in the Bible. I'm not claiming that this is comprehensive, but I wanna be as specific as possible. We don't preach the prosperity gospel here. We don't believe, the scripture does not teach that the metric by which you measure your faith and obedience is by how much stuff you have, how healthy you are, how much money you have. That's a false gospel. You measure your faith and your obedience by your relationship with God, your deep and abiding relationship with the God of the universe, despite what comes your way. Because we're all gonna face tragedy and despair and suffering. It's gonna happen in this life. It's a broken world marred by sin. It will face every one of us. But I wanted to point out this passage in particular because I think of all the passages that speak on God's blessing, this one probably captures it the most comprehensively, at least what I found. And you might be familiar. So Matthew chapter five, verse two, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Many folks are familiar with this passage even outside the church. I believe it's Matthew five, two. I better turn there. And Jesus is talking to crowds of people. 
and he pronounces these nine blessings over the crowd. Blessed are the... And then he walks through nine different ways that people are blessed. And how does he describe people that are blessed in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5? The poor in spirit, those who mourn over their sin, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted and reviled for Christ's sake. Like, blessed are these people. That's counterintuitive. Like, by worldly standards, you wouldn't say, blessed are those who are persecuted for the name of Christ, who are humble, poor, and meek. Doesn't make sense. As people are faithful and obedient to God's word, and these things result, Jesus says, you will be blessed. And what is the blessing that he talks about? If you read the second part of those sentences, this is the blessing that Jesus promises for folks who are faithfully obedient to his word. You will be comforted. You will be satisfied. You will receive mercy. You will see God. You will be called sons of God, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The hope we have through faithful obedience is a relationship with God forever, here and forevermore. It's the most significant need you or I have in our life. I hope you can see that and just think through that practically in your own life. And I was intentional with those words in that statement, like faithful obedience to God's word. Not live how you want to live when hard things happen. God's working through it. I'm saying, when you're obedient to what God calls you to do, you will receive his blessing. I'm just going to finish here with a story of some friends. I'll wrap up here. In fact, you can close your, your Bibles if you like. I'm just going to, you're welcome to keep out your notes. I'm just going to finish with a story that I hope can illustrate this, at least in part, in a way that I've seen it in friends of mine. It's not normative or, or prescriptive. I'm not saying like it's going to look this way in your life. It won't. It's their story. But I've seen this principle up close and personal in the life of close friends of mine. So I'm going to tell you a story. And the goal is that you would be encouraged by this story. And walking away from here, you would commit yourself to living faithfully to God's word and obediently. So back in 2018, Pastor Vic was leading a Bible study in Stafford. Molly and I were new to town, and we weren't that settled, I'll be honest. We came to town in 2017, and I was considering a career change, possibly moving overseas. We weren't able to develop community right away. We were bouncing around from church to church, not because we wanted to. And then in February of 2018, uh, Wednesday morning work Bible study that Vic was leading, Pastor Vic, and a dude showed up I didn't recognize. It's a small group of folks, usually eight to ten folks, but then this dude shows up. And he shares during study, and he gets my attention, so I create conversation with him afterwards. His name's Brandon, and he was in town. Uh, he lived in Florida, but he was in town for three weeks for a SWAT course at, at where we work. And so here's a dude um, in his mid-30s, like, just a stud. But he made time, like prioritized God's word in relationship with other believers in fellowship, where he'd get up at 6.15, the study's 6.15 to 7.15, he made time to go study God's word with strangers in fellowship because he prioritized what God had to say before he went to his SWAT training. So I got to talking to him. He only had a couple minutes, and I introduced myself, and he told me that him and his wife had adopted, and that caught my attention because in 2018, Molly and I were walking through our first adoption. I didn't know anything, very little. So I'm like, bro, you need to come over to my house for dinner. I need, I need to learn from you. And so he said, okay, and I, I called Molly. I said, hey, I invited a dude over for dinner. She's like, it's Valentine's Day. I was like, well, well, Brandon's coming to dinner. Um, and he showed up with flowers and chocolate. I got Molly nothing. Um, sorry, Molly. I love you. And so he sat down for dinner, and he started sharing the details of his story, his adoption story. 
So Brooke and Brandon, in 2010, he was an Army Ranger, and their life was busy, and they got pregnant with their first child, this blessing from God, and they're seeking after the Lord. Brandon had a powerful ministry as an Army Ranger with his soldiers. And early on in the pregnancy, they went to a doctor's appointment. They found out that there was a birth defect, that it was almost certain the baby wouldn't live or survive the delivery. It's devastating news. Can't imagine that. Brooke and Brandon are faithful and obedient to God's word. They value life because God values life, and they made the difficult decision to carry the baby the full term, even knowing it was almost certain the baby would die when he was delivered. Brandon had to deploy to Iraq while Brooke was pregnant, and during his deployment, he lost a lot of soldiers. More, a significant amount of soldiers in his small unit were killed. Like, let's just stop there. Like, devastating news about a pregnancy. How is that God's blessing? Brandon's deployed overseas. His brothers in arms are killed. Like, how is that God's blessing? They're faithfully chasing after Jesus. And Brooke's carrying a baby that she knows won't survive. And as she gets bigger, for those who have been pregnant or you're married to folks who've been pregnant, like, what's the question? Oh, you're pregnant. People are celebrating. And she knows, like, every time that comes up, this visible reminder that I'm carrying a baby that's not going to survive. Like, how is that God's blessing? And so when these soldiers died, their families are back at home. Brooke was faithful and obedient. She knew James 1.27. Like, we care for widows in their distress. So she would go to the funerals. She would minister to and love on these widows that she knew they were her friends. All the while carrying this baby. How's that God's blessing? Brandon got to come home for the delivery of the baby. On September 13th, Briar Allen Whitus was born, 2010. And he died in their arms. Died in their arms. It's devastating. I have nine kids. I, I just can't even fathom this. But I want you to hear it. Like they didn't reject God or turn away from him or blame God. They were faithful and obedient in a way like I've never seen or heard about, at least not in my personal relationships. So the army sent them a life insurance check. Unexpected. It showed up in the mail. Like what do we do with all this money? They all, the other part of James 1.27, care for orphans in their distress. They were faithful and obedient in the midst of tragedy and despair, and they pursued an international adoption with that money. They were matched with a little boy in dire circumstances in Ethiopia. Little baby boy. His name? Elijah. You know him as Eli. I love this boy. And they brought him home. And Brandon's telling me his story at dinner. I was like, this is the heaviest Valentine's Day ever. Like, oh my goodness, I want to be your best friend. So I stalked Brandon a little bit, and so did Molly. We became their good friends. And as God worked, he moved here to Stafford about a year later. He works at the unit I'm at now. And we just became best of friends. And they walk with us and continue to walk through us through our adoptions. Like, they poured into us in ways that nobody else has for a period of time that nobody else has for years. They've just carried our burdens as we've adopted four, Lord willing, five kids. And so when Brandon got here with Brooke, we developed this personal relationship. Right before he started training, they'd only been here a couple months, he called me. I remember where I was standing when he called. He said, hey, bro. He went in for a routine appointment before he was going to start training a physical. He said, hey, bro, I got cancer. I said, what? 
Like, if you know Brandon, like, he's, he's a stud. He's in the prime of his life. Like, this was not on the radar. I got cancer. I was devastated. Like, I just started, I've cried more about this than Brooke and Brandon combined. Like, I was just, just so devastated to hear this news. How is that God's blessing? They were faithful and obedient in the midst of that news. Like, if I look at their, this is about two years ago. If I look at their life and what God has done through their life, despite this news, it's a picture of faithfulness and obedience to the Lord and receiving his blessing. I remember Brandon told me when he got this news, he said, Woody, I've been praying for a long time that God would bring something into my life to just humble me, to drive me to complete desperation for him and what he has for my life. I think this might be it. How has God worked in their life since that diagnosis? I've watched them open their family or open their home to families in need, like multiple families in need who are facing hard circumstances and they have four kids now. Hey, move into our home as long as you need. We're going to care for you. Brandon started a men's Bible study with the cancer diagnosis. I better live with purpose during the time that I have. I know God's word. I want to be obedient. Let me just start a Bible study, even though I'm busy and I have cancer appointments. All the uncertainty with that. Brooke stepped into the orphan care ministry. Like they got foster certified. They've had foster children. They're doing respite care now for families in our church who experience. They're pursuing ways to serve and love other people. In the midst of that news, Brooke serves in the women's mentorship ministry. Brooke has a heart for young adult women, college-aged girls, and she works at a place where most people don't know Christ, and that's her ministry. She tries to develop meaningful relationship with these women in a way where she can share Christ with them despite all she, went through, all she went through in the past. Brandon's a deacon at the church now. He's a deacon at this church. He stepped into more ministry as a result of this news. And Lord willing, next year, he's going to be one of the four elders at Redeemer Stafford. Like, what has God done through this incredible difficulty in his life, these tragedies? He's blessed them. He's blessed them with a deeper, more meaningful love for God that they didn't know before. I think if you asked them, like, has faithful obedience to God's word in your life brought about blessing? Has it brought you into deeper relationship with God? A purposeful life? Their, their answer would be a resounding yes. I'm convinced of it. You can ask them after service. So if you and I are going to be faithfully obedient to God's word and receive his blessing, we, we have to know what he's saying to us, what he desires from us. That's why we prioritize the study of the scriptures. This is God's authoritative way to speak to us. In the new covenant, he's given us 66 books. Let me just encourage you, study this word, pray over it, fast, serve, give, love other people sacrificially, and as God speaks, obey him, even when it doesn't make sense. I'm going to feed you with birds, go find a widow, like whatever he tells you. Like you obey God and I guarantee you will experience deeper relationship with him and his blessing in your life. And as you walk according to his word and you experience tragedy and suffering and despair and discouragement and anxiety and depression and things that are just a reality in this world, don't turn from God. Don't turn away from him. Don't reject him. Center your affections on your love for God and who he is and what his eternal promises are. And, and just make him the center of your life. Why? Why would you do that? Because faithful obedience to God's word always produces blessing in your life. For those of you who are struggling right now, 
in different ways and you feel that you're alone or God doesn't hear your cries for help, I would just invite you to come talk to me or one of the other elders that are here. I would love just to hear your story and pray with you today. I want to make time for that. So I'll be down in front. We drove two cars so I could stay late. I'll be down in front. I would love to chat you up. And if you have questions about what I said, please come talk to me. Let's pray. Father, you are good and you're gracious and you're loving and your steadfast kindness endures forever. And we're fragile. We're marred by sin and we desperately need your help in every way. I commit this local church to you and every individual that's represented by Redeemer Bible Church and even those outside the church that they would hear this message and they would place their faith in the one true God like the widow Zarephath. And for those who know you, that they would celebrate you more today, they would trust you more today, that you would bring them encouragement in the face of difficulty and that you would be glorified in their life and they would tangibly experience your blessing through a deeper relationship with you. We love you and praise you for your word and your love. In Jesus' name, amen.